This is Jeff Young, the Catholic Foodie at CatholicFoodie.com, and you're listening to part one of episode 180 of the Catholic Foodie, Finding God in All Things, Including the Kitchen. Welcome, folks, to the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. I'm your host, Jeff Young, and today we are talking about finding God in all things, including the kitchen. You know, just last week uh, on the Around the Table Food Show, we had Rosemary Lane from Loyola Press on the show to talk to us about a special series they have coming out this month. As a matter of fact, it starts today. It kicks off today. It's the culinary arts. They're adding the culinary arts, food and faith to their arts and faith series online. They have some exciting things uh, for us this month, and we're going to talk to Rosemary today right here at the Catholic Foodie, where food meets faith. That's right. I'm very excited to have Rosemary on the show today. You know, we talked to her on the Around the Table Food Show just this past week. And uh, boy, what an excellent interview. It was fantastic having her. We had a great conversation with David Dawson and Monsignor Nolte, Rosemary Lane, and myself. Fantastic. And Loyola Press has got some exciting things happening this month right in time for Thanksgiving. <laughs> it's very exciting. As a matter of fact, you know, they had a, a press release that they released. Uh, does that make sense? A press release that they released, or that they published uh, just this past Friday. Matter of fact, Friday, I um, on the Catholic Foodie website, on catholicfoodie.com, I posted the interview from the Around the Table Food Show, what we, uh, what we recorded with, um, with Rosemary just a week ago. So if you haven't heard that, please do go to catholicfoodie.com and, and check that out. It's a great conversation. Uh, but I also, on Friday, I posted that. They posted a press release to announce this new series, and this is what they had to say. A Food Network priest who cooks to bring families together. A small business owner who adds sizzle to his parish's 40-year-old fish fry. A food writer who pours her faith into her Lebanese cooking. A former chef-turned-Jesuit who finds God at the table. These are a few of the fascinating stories presented in Loyola Press's Food and Faith, a new series that celebrates the inspiring ways Catholics express their faith through the culinary arts. Hosted at LoyolaPress.com, this collection of stories examines food and faith just in time for Thanksgiving. The connection between food and faith has always been present, from Jesus' first miracle at the wedding at Cana to today's celebration of the Eucharist at Mass. We continue this tradition of nourishing our soul as well as our body with every food drive and pancake breakfast shared in the parish hall. Loyola Press is excited to illuminate all the ways we feed our souls in the intersection or at the intersection of food and faith. As part of the popular Arts and Faith series, Food and Faith delves into the stories and lives of people who use the culinary arts to find God. The series will begin the second week of November and lead up to Thanksgiving, a time when families break bread together and reflect on the good God has brought into their lives. Like many other stories in the Arts and Faith series, the Food and Faith collection will remain online for readers to enjoy and share season after season. The series captures the personal and public ways faith is explored, expressed, shared, and celebrated in our families, parishes, and culture. Loyola Press hopes that these 30-plus stories inspire readers to tap their own talents to express their faith through cooking, baking, gardening, harvesting memories, or simply enjoying good food with great company. Whether you are a chef de cuisine 
or can barely make toast, Food and Faith shows there's always a place at God's table. Jump in, explore the stories, and share the creative ways you're expressing your faith at LoyolaPress.com. Wow, that's awesome, huh? That was their press release. They did a fantastic job. And it's awesome because we have Rosemary Lane on the show today with us to dive more deeply into this topic of Food Meets Faith. You know, it's kind of funny, I have to admit, I am breaking this uh, episode up into two parts. And I'm doing that because Rosemary duped me. You see, I thought that we were going to be talking about the series and 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 and, and what they're doing over at Loyola Press and, and trying to help promote uh, the work that they're doing, the good work that they're doing with Food and Faith. And guess what? She duped me. She turned the tables on me. And somehow, she started to interview me. <laughs> <laughs> it was a great conversation. It was fantastic. And I'm, I was so happy to, uh, to, to talk with her last week. And, uh, you know, the best way that you can enjoy these two episodes back-to-back, part one, part two of the Catholic Foodie Podcast with Rosemary Lane, uh, the best way, I think, would be for you to pour yourself a cup of coffee or perhaps a glass of wine. Pretend that you're in a cafe somewhere in Europe, maybe. Uh, That's always a good place to be. And uh, you're listening to friends just talk, just chat about food and faith, right? Food and faith. And, and, And what happens, how that impacts our family life and how it impacts our spirituality. So without further ado, let me welcome Rosemary Lane. Well, we have a treat today, folks. I'm, I'm so excited. We've got uh, Rosemary Lane with us from Loyola Press. Rosemary, how you doing? I'm great. How are you? I'm excited. I mean, we got the holidays coming up. You know, we are always excited about Thanksgiving around here, of course. I love to cook. And, you know, some, some folks worry about what they're going to do with their leftovers for Thanksgiving, but not, not in my family. In my family, we prepare for the leftovers. Oh, yeah? <laughs> we, we cook Thanksgiving dinner in light of, right, in, in expectation of the leftovers, because usually I make a, a turkey and i gumbo or something uh, the next day. So. <laughs> oh, that sounds amazing. So you have something special going on this month, the month of November over at Loyola Press, huh? What's going on? We do. We're really excited about it. Um, we have a series called Food and Faith, and this is leading up to Thanksgiving in the first three weeks of November. So we thought it'd be a great time as families are gathering around the table and, you know, the harvest time to kind of explore where food and faith meet and how they connect. And then also highlighting Catholics around the globe who kind of express their faith through the culinary arts. Um, so we thought you would be a perfect person to, <laughs> to explore that. Where food meets faith, you know. Where food meets faith, exactly. exactly. You know, it's funny because uh, you have a website uh, here, Arts and Faith, mm-hmm. and I see on the side you've got, uh, you have several different uh, uh, disciplines, I guess you'd say, or arts like dance and drama and music and the visual arts. And there's a thing that, that's called culinary arts. And uh, I was just, I had a conversation just a few weeks back. The Emerald Lagasse Foundation, uh, Emerald Lagasse, Chef Emerald, had a lot to do with establishing the culinary arts as part of the curriculum of the New Orleans um, uh, uh, Art Institute. You know, big oh, big yeah. thing for high school kids in New Orleans. And uh, he, he got that, I think it was probably seven years ago now, it's been a while, but he got that program established, culinary arts, in that, uh, in that institute. I think it's fantastic. That's great. And it's it's just a college program now, like a well, whole instructional. It's, it's actually high school. I mean, these kids get oh, yeah. uh, full, like all this training from professional chefs 
uh, as they go through the program and, and they graduate high school and they're ready to go to culinary school if they want to. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it is an art, you know, uh, cooking. It definitely, definitely is an art. It, definitely. Yeah, and I think a lot of people we've been surprised to find have find that it helps them pray too. That it's the centering, um, peaceful way that they they can pray. Yeah, I, I always refer to it as therapy. Personally, uh, <laughs> some people garden. You know, I cook. Exactly. And, and, some people paint. Yeah, cooking's just as valid. I must need a lot of therapy because I just I just have to be in the kitchen. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. It's true. You know, you've got uh, Saint Martha, the the patron saint of cooks, and and you you can look at cooking almost as a not just an art but almost as a ministry. I mean, it's it's a way. It's a very tangible, real, concrete way to give of yourself and to 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 love other people. Definitely, definitely. And we have we'll have a ton of examples on that. And one such that comes to mind, we have a Jesuit who um, was a professionally trained chef before he became a priest. And he finds he still brings that into his ministry, that it helps him bring, evangelize, actually, and talk to new recruits as he cooks for them. Um, so it's just really neat the way that food can play into so many ways in, in your own ministry. And you look at, I mean, like Father Leo Padalinghug, you know, Father yeah, Leo yeah. Uh, up, uh, is it Boston? No, it's, it's Baltimore. I think Baltimore. Baltimore area. I mean, yeah. Father, Father Leo with Grace Before Meals, I mean, his whole... He has established an entire ministry based around food and cooking, and it's Definitely. is trying to get families back around the table, and right. even in the kitchen cooking together. And that that is so vitally important, I think, today, especially because we're too busy. You know, yeah. we're, we're we're not God didn't make us to to live the way that we're living today in yeah. our society. We really have to. I think we can get that kind of grounding. Uh, mm-hmm. around the table, which is mm-hmm. built into who we are. I mean, you look back at Scripture, that's that's what we see from Genesis to Revelation. Food played such a huge role in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even even with the covenants, every single covenant that God made in the Old Testament with the chosen people, every single covenant culminated in a covenantal meal. It was sealed around the table. Definitely. <laughs> And what was the story of Martha? Was it Martha and Mary? The, the hospitality story that just goes oh, to show yeah. you... Yeah, I mean, and it, you know, it's great. And, I, you know, I've, I wrote an article about that, I guess, probably, I don't know, three years ago now. And I still get a lot of traffic from that, especially around her feast day every year. <laughs> but, you know, it's not that Jesus was getting on to her so much because she was um, uh, cooking or, or, or being hospitable. It's just that I think she was just so worried about it. Right. And it, it kind of, she missed the point of... You know, it's like sometimes if I'm in the kitchen, and I remember, I did this not that long ago. I cooked for some friends, and I guess it was not. It was probably in February. It was before um, Mardi Gras because I was making king cake for dessert, and my king cakes, which I I make every year from scratch, uh, it just didn't come out right. Mm-hmm. I had tried something new, something different, and it didn't come. And I was so upset. Mm-hmm. And the guests who were there, they were like, "Oh no, no, this is great. This is fantastic. It's better than what we have at you know get the, at the store." But I was so heartbroken over yeah. over my, you know what I'm saying? So I missed the point because the point right. was that I fed them and I shared this with them and, and they enjoyed it. And I shouldn't have let my own feelings, my own, I don't know, uh, I, I was beating myself up, you know, and I, mm-hmm. and I let it get in the way. And I think yeah. that's what Martha was doing. She was upset because Mary's just sitting there. <laughs> <laughs> hanging out with Jesus. I mean, how cool is that, right? Right. Hanging right. out with Jesus and Martha's just going crazy trying to trying to bring dinner together, you know, pull it all together. And it's so tempting to play that role of Martha. It's so easy to do. 
And it's hard to, I, I feel like you got to meet in the middle in some way too, between those two people. You do, you do. And you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because I, I, uh, for years, I mean, I was a high school teacher. I did retreats. Um, uh, I did youth ministry, and and I recall several times being on retreat, adult retreats, where I would am really a participant, not not necessarily on staff. Mm-hmm. But my tendency, and I may be a little more Martha here, my tendency is to serve. And so instead of being just a participant, I would find jobs to do. Keep yourself busy. <laughs> to keep myself busy and uh thankfully with age uh i think i may have i may be getting a little more wisdom here um, <laughs> and, and starting to just chillax you know yeah and, yeah and let god do what god's supposed to do <laughs> yeah make the king cake and they enjoy it that's right yeah that's right so you have this this uh whole month of november or the the three weeks leading up to thanksgiving you're, you're dedicating to food and faith yes Yes. So um, every day we're going to have a new story. Um, and we have, as I said before, the Jesuit who finds, um, you know, his cooking helps bring in new recruits. We have a story about old ladies who secretly bake loaves for other people um, <laughs> to do good deeds. Um, we're exploring the saints and the patron saints of the culinary arts. Um, and then just a lot of tips on how to bring families together on the table. I think that's that's really important and um you know, families may need help on just how to do that. What's, you know, what keeps, what keeps you going and around the table? You, you know, yes, uh, absolutely. It's, it's very interesting because, uh, yeah, I started the blog here, the podcast and the blog, The Catholic Foodie, back in 2008. It was October of 2008. And I, I did it because, uh, really just for fun. At the time, I was teaching high school, and I, I'm a geek by nature, and I love gadgets and technology. And, you know, they had this thing that came out called the iPod, and then they had, you know, iTunes, and uh, podcasting started. And I loved all this so much. I was teaching religion in Spanish, and I was also on staff at my parish uh, with a confirmation program. I was in charge of high school PSR, or Parish School of Religion, and also the, the confirmation program. And so, I was doing, I was podcasting. I was podcasting my Spanish lessons. And this was right when the, um, the, the, the uh, video iPod came out. So you could do a podcast that was with a slideshow, with screen, screenshots, you know. And, and uh, I would post all that to iTunes. My students could go to iTunes. They'd download the, the podcast and they could study before the test. It was really a lot of fun, you know. But it was work. It was about work. And even, even my work with, uh, with my parish... And the confirmation program, that was work too. And I thought, yeah, I love doing this. It's so much fun. I want to do something that's just, just for fun. You know, sure. Just for fun. And uh, the the thing that the, the thought that came to me was food and faith because those those are the two things that that I love so much in life. You know, mm-hmm. I'm from South Louisiana, so food. I mean, that food food is life down here. You know, we're we're eating breakfast and we're talking about what we're going to have for dinner and for lunch. Yeah. And yeah. we're having lunch and we're talking about what we're going to have for dinner. And it's just, and we love to cook. And everybody, else, you go to a restaurant. It's hard to have a restaurant down here, I think, because mm-hmm. people down here love to cook so much. And so you go to the restaurant, and they'll say, "Oh, that was really good. It's almost as good as mine," you know, because because <laughs> we 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 just love doing that. It's just part of of life. Sure. Um, and then my faith, of course, my Catholic faith. I'm an ex seminarian. I was in a seminary for a total of four years and studied with Mother Teresa's priests uh, for two years in in Mexico and. 
So those two things kind of came together. And what I have learned over the last five years now is that uh, cooking and food really can be kind of like a battleground. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a plethora of, of dieting books and dieting programs and everything else that you see when you walk into a bookstore. Um, I mean, just like wall to wall, whole sections full of just diet books and they all contradict each other. Sure. You know, but the overall thrust is that food is kind of like the enemy. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a, 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 an epidemic, right, of obesity and childhood obesity in our country. Sure. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we have made food into an enemy. And we're also on the go. So we eat fast food. We eat alone. We eat in the car. Mm-hmm. We, we snack on stuff all day, you know, and then still feel like we need to have dinner when we get home at night. Right. <laughs> you know, um, and, and so we eat mindlessly in front of the television set or, or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, it, all these problems, I think, personally, what I've seen over the last five years is that a lot of that we can cut through it. We can cut directly through it when we put food in its proper place, mm-hmm. which is the context of a meal around a table sure. with your loved ones, friends, family. Um, I think that's the way God made us to be and, and made these meals to be. And we see the same thing happening at, at church. We can't all go and be our own priest and, and uh, you know, celebrate the Eucharist by ourselves. And, and you know what I mean? It's that we're, we're called to be together as a, as a family. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love what you're doing. I, I love what you, because the message is so needed today. It I really think. is. Families, even people who contact me and they say, um, I don't know how to cook. I mm-hmm. never learned how to cook because that's why I have a lot of recipes on, on catholicfoodie.com. And they're, it's, they're not complicated things. It's not like, you know, uh, like high cuisine French cooking or something. It's it's right. it's, it's good it's comfort stuff. food. Yes, yeah, good comfort food. Things that you can make at home. And usually, and I've had people complain about this before. The recipes that I have on my website tend to be the the measurements and all. It, it tends to be for families, mm-hmm. um, and even even larger families because that's what I have. I mean, we, right. we we're a family of five, and I, I cook for us, and uh, and that's that's kind of what I know. Um, and I always encourage people, if, if you have less than that, you can always freeze some food when you make it. You freeze the extra. and It'll help you to prepare meals more quickly in the coming week or weeks. Uh, or you can also invite people over. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, because I think that's part of it, that gift of hospitality. But it's almost like we're, um, we're not taught that anymore in our, in our culture, you know? Um, but that, that's something I think is just so important. It's our own family, but also our local community, our parish. There are, yeah. people, there are people in our parish that we could invite over on a regular basis because maybe they live alone. That's so true. Yeah. And, and, and that is, you're right. That's so important. And, and there's something you feel shared when you enjoy a good meal together. That there's a spirit around the table. Um, but you're right. It's, I think people get home from work and it's, you know, it's tiring. It's exhausting to think, oh, I have to go to the grocery store and buy all these ingredients and sit down. You know, they just want something quick. So, so yeah, we hope that this series, you know, kind of inspires people to, to gather for these family meals. And even if it's just like one, one, uh, night a, a week and that, that was the thing I taught high school. And so I know how crazy life is, you know, when you've got kids and, different uh, sporting activities or other other types of after-school activities. I mean, it's tough sometimes just to get everybody in the house at the same time. You sure. Know? Uh, but traditionally, Sunday is 
for families. It's, it's a family day. It's the day we. It's a day of rest. It's the day that we are. Uh, we go to church as a family. We uh, we can eat as a family, and that's mm-hmm. not just here. It's just culturally, I think, around the the, the world. That's at least in the in the Western countries, right? That's uh, kind of the the tradition. And we have people who are trying to bring that tradition back. You know, I know uh, Isabel uh, Lasig, uh, the family foodie, familyfoodie.com. Yeah. Isabel, she's amazing. she's amazing. She is. She she started the Sunday supper movement. Mm-hmm. The whole point is to try to get families back around the table on Sundays. And it's taken off. Hugely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's been featured all over the place. I think she's got some uh, TV thing coming up now, mm-hmm. uh, so which is just fantastic. Yeah, yeah, and it just shows people's interest too. When you know she's giving them the recipes, and it, it, you've got this worldwide community of people gathering at the same time. It's really neat what she's doing. Yeah, the 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 Twitter right on on Twitter uh, Sunday supper we, when when um, you know, all these different food bloggers will post these recipes, and then on Twitter in the evenings, usually I think it's like um, six o'clock my time, I believe I'm central, so I think seven o'clock uh, she's on the East Coast. Um, we have this hour-long Twitter discussion, and people from all over the world use the hashtag Sunday Supper, and they talk about what's your favorite, you know, whatever the theme is for that week, you know, what's your favorite uh, breakfast food or whatever it may be. But it's mm-hmm. just so encouraging because you see that people really are hungry <laughs> yeah. for food and family, right, together. They, these sure. family meals, this experience of being around the table, people really are hungry for that. Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, and if I can ask you a couple questions about this and your, your experience. Sure. Um, could you tell us a little bit about when you first got interested in cooking in general? Oh, wow. Uh, <laughs> uh, I have to tell embarrassing stories now. This is yes, crazy. Oh. No, you know, it's funny because um, my favorite food in the whole world is pizza. Matter of fact, I'm making pizza tonight. Um, and I have been making pizza from scratch at home for over 30 years. I mean, wow. it's, it's really amazing when I think back. But I think pizza was the first thing I ever made uh, in the kitchen. And believe it or not, it was these old uh, Chef Boyardee uh, pizza kits or the Appian Way. If, you're, if you remember <laughs> that, they used to have these Appian Way pizza kits and uh, they, they were awful. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just all was fake cheese. It's fake. It's, everything's fake. Yeah, except well, I think maybe the, the, the flour they use maybe real flour. I don't know. But um, uh, it didn't take long before I went from doing that to making the dough myself from flour and water and yeast and salt and probably even some olive oil. Uh, and then making my own sauce and, and grating my own cheese and putting my own toppings on there. So that was really, I think, the first thing I, I started to cook in the kitchen. And I was, I don't know, probably 11, 12 years old at the time. Oh, wow. And, and I love to cook. I mean, I, I, as I said earlier, you know, growing up in, I grew up in Baton Rouge, but South Louisiana is just part of our culture. And so uh, I remember as a child, we used to have this old Cajun guy who was on TV, had a cooking show. And we had cooking shows before they had cooking shows. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and uh, Justin Wilson, which was, he was so funny. He had a Cajun accent. Was, he wasn't even really Cajun. His wife was. He married in, do you see? But he had the, the accent down perfectly. And he would, uh, he would talk about, he would always call chicken, chicken, for some reason. Chicken, a uh, chicken gumbo. And so he would, he would cook right there on, on TV. And it was just so much fun. He's and like so, the Cajun Julia Child. 
Exactly. I mean, he really was. It was Emerald Lagasse before the, you know, bam and kick it up a notch came along. I mean, Food right. Network didn't even exist, but um, it was inspiring. I remember cooking, helping my mom cook uh, gumbo and uh, we love to do like chicken and spaghetti, which is a little yeah. twist on things. Not uh, not your spaghetti and meatballs and all that, but chicken and spaghetti. We would do that too. And that's how I kind of got started. And uh, when I, I was in Mexico, I left home at the age of 18 and uh, joined the, well, formation at least, with the Missionary Charity Fathers, Mother Teresa's priest in, in Tijuana, Mexico. And uh, when I got there, we had 50 guys in the house from 12 different nations. Wow. Because it, it was the only house in the world for formation, right? That was their mother house. And it was, you know, Mother Teresa's priest. She, she co-founded it with Father Joseph Langford. And uh, we had, with all those guys, you know, we had, and some of them were in the seminary, some of them were just in the initial stages of formation like myself. And so what we had to do is we, we hired a cook who would come in during the week, she would prepare lunch for us, and would also prepare dinner and just put it aside. We would heat it up later. Mm-hmm. But on the weekends, we were on our own. And so we had, I think, five cooking teams, and we just rotated each week. And so we had, uh, each team was, was headed up by a captain. And uh, we had one captain was from Venice, one captain was from Milan, one captain was from uh, Paris, one captain was from uh, India, um, uh, from um, Kerala, from Kerala, India. I can't do his accent right, but that's where he was from. And, And then they had the fifth one. They had some young 18 year old guy from Baton Rouge, Louisiana as the the captain because because since he he was from Louisiana, he must know how to cook, right? (laughs) So I got thrown into the into the uh, fire there, baptized by fire in the kitchen, cooking for 50 people. But I loved it. I loved it. And when I came back home, um, I continued cooking on a regular basis. Do you feel like all of those different regions influenced your cooking? Were you doing a lot of Cajun cooking or did you feel like you were using some of the Milanese and Indian influences? Well, when I was in Mexico, I couldn't really, uh, I, I, I tried to make variations of gumbo. I couldn't really, ha- I didn't have all the ingredients. And you think about it, I mean, we're talking about Mother Teresa's priest. We, we lived in poverty. Matter of fact, one of my jobs, along with a couple of the guys, um, every week on Saturday was to go around to these open-air markets in the city and to beg for any leftover food that they are produce that they couldn't sell. Like it, it was going rotten or something, right? And so they would give it to us. Uh, we had a, a bakery. There was a bakery in Tijuana that would um, give us big, huge trash bags, big black trash bags full of day-old or two-day-old pastries and breads. And uh, we would take all of this and we would make um, care packages for the poor who lived around us, but we also ate that food too. And Mm so we cooked what we were able to get. (laughs) Did that give you new, like a new meaning to food that it wasn't just this, you know, it was a sustenance in a way. Like it, it was, it was, it was sustenance, but it was more than that because it's amazing what you can do with simple ingredients in the way that you present it Mm -hmm. and also the way that you share it around the table. Because we ate as a community, so we had, it was 50 of us, you know, and, and our, our meals were different. At certain meals, we were able to talk the entire time. At other meals, I mean, of course, we always prayed. We started with prayer and ended with prayer. Uh, but we also would have kind of that monastic tradition, too, where one person is designated as a reader, 
and they would read something spiritual. Nine times out of ten, if I recall correctly, they would read from Mother Teresa's private letters that she wrote to her sisters around the world, mm. and just kind of her notes on on formation and on the spirituality of the missionaries of charity. So I heard a lot about from Mother's own own writings, right? What sure. what our life was really all about, and uh, so it was very beautiful. And even with these poor uh, ingredients you can still do some really good things. And it's amazing because you also see how important it is to celebrate in life. So many times um, you hear people comment, people who, who aren't necessarily maybe Catholic or maybe they are anti-Catholic, they'll comment, oh, the church is so wealthy. If the church, you know, if they really cared about the poor, they'd sell all that stuff and go feed everybody. Well, it's kind of a silly argument, but you can understand where people are coming from with that. Sure. And you have somebody like Mother Teresa who dedicates her life, right, every ounce of her being to serving Jesus in the poorest of the poor. And what does she do? In all of her chapels, all the in all the houses around the world, they have the finest vestments. Mm-hmm. They have the finest uh, vessels, right, the chalice and the ciborium and all that. Uh, the patent, everything's gold, right? It, it's all beautiful and it's all the best. Why? Because it's God because it's Jesus, because he deserves it. And the same thing happens when we have these big feast days. So even though we were poor, when there was a big feast day coming up, we celebrated. Sure. If we had to acquire or purchase uh, food, we, we we would do that in order to celebrate and really have a feast. So it gave me a keen kind of like um, visceral, right, body in my body, in my bones, a very keen understanding of what it is to 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 like the wedding feast of the lamb, right? In heaven, what that's going to be like, that celebration. It's a real celebration because mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's Jesus. <laughs> Definitely. So, so was there a specific moment where you kind of connected food and faith where, where it all kind of clicked for you? Or was this something that kind of happened over time that you, you managed to see where it all connected? Well, I think it, it did kind of happen over time because, you know, as I said, I, I, I love food. I love cooking. Uh, I've loved it all my life, and, and I've grown in that uh, that skill, that art of, of cooking. Um, but I also, I mean, I, I did, I was in the seminary. I studied, um, I was in the seminary twice. <laughs> I actually got my, my degree is from a seminary, and um, I, I, I studied a lot of theology and a lot of philosophy, and I was always very curious about that. And, and I guess over time in my own life and in prayer, uh, and of course through the, the study that I've done in school, I, I, see, I see very clearly and very keenly the role that food has played in Scripture. I mm-hmm. mean, from salvation history, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is just full of food. And it's very port- important. I mean, whether it's Jesus eating with the sinners and the you know the tax collectors and the prostitutes and all of that, or or and being called a glutton and a drunkard because he did so, or, <laughs> or whether it's Jesus talking about the bread of life. I mean, he, I'll just give you one example. You know, in the in the in the book of Genesis, uh, the creation story, we we learn that the fall happens right Genesis chapter three mm-hmm. through the act of eating. It is you know of course it's an act of disobedience, but if you look at the story as a story. It happens because they took and ate that fruit. They brought that. It's very intimate. You know, they brought yeah. this into themselves. And God is the great undoer of knots. And uh, if you fast forward all the way to John chapter 6, when Jesus has given his bread of life discourse, what does he say? 
He says, you know, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Mm-hmm. But if you, you know, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise on the last day. You will have eternal life. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he takes what we did, right? What happened in the Garden of Eden, this eating. We, we're taking something into ourselves. We're taking death into ourselves because of sin and separation from God. And Jesus is turning that, putting it on its head, undoing the whole thing, saying, no, 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 take me into yourself, mm-hmm. right? You eat me and you will have eternal life. Mm-hmm. And so that's just one, one example of what I, when I look at scripture and I see the, you know, the, the food element in scripture, how important it is and what it says to us today in families about how important it really is to be around that table, both sure. the table at the, the, at the altar, right? Our father's mm-hmm. table, uh, where he gives us the, the flesh and blood of his son, Okay. Uh, and in our family table at home where children grow and in and, and the faith and they learn from mom and dad and older brothers and sisters what it's like to be part of the family of God. You know, it's just so, so, so vitally important. Sure. You should write a book on food in the Bible. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've, actually, uh, I've actually been, uh, yes, yes, I should. <laughs> Something to think about. Oh, yes. <laughs> Well, since starting Catholic Foodie, how do you feel like your faith has been enriched? How do you feel like, you know, writing about this all the time and, and, and sharing recipes? How do you feel like that food element has really um, enriched your faith and you've learned more about your faith as time has gone on? Yeah, one thing I'll say is that it's made it more real. It's made it more concrete. Not, not, uh, not pie in the sky, right? Because I think when, when I was in the seminary, as an example, um, I loved being in the seminary. <laughs> it yeah. was just awesome. You know, you really live and experience the, the liturgical calendar, you know, the, uh, I mean, Lent is Lent, you know, and Easter is Easter and, and the Easter vigil is glorious, especially when I, when I graduated, uh, it was from St. Joseph Seminary College right down the road here. It's in the Archdiocese of New Orleans and uh, the Abbey Church is beautiful. It's run by Benedictine monks and so that whole experience of, just as, as an example, right, Lent and Holy Week and then Easter with the vigil, it, it, you just can't experience that in a parish. I mean, you, you know, I mean, you really live it. You're there. Right. And uh, it's just so beautiful. And in the first few years after I, I was out of the seminary and then I got married and we started having children, um, I, I, I longed for that, but I couldn't replicate it. I couldn't, I couldn't, you know, really do it in my house or in my parish even. But over time, I mean, I have been able to adapt some of that. And so we do sort of like a, um, it's not, it's more of a modified Seder on mm-hmm. Holy Thursday at, at my house. We've been doing it for years with the kids. And then we go from there to the parish for the seven o'clock service, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there's several things that we're able to incorporate throughout the year, also in Advent and, and different times. So I think the Catholic Foodie in particular has helped me, first of all, because I'm sharing these stories with people. I'm sharing the recipes. I'm sharing the ideas. I'm seeing where other people really are. Mm-hmm. And I'm feeling very blessed and fortunate to be where I am, you know, to, to have, I guess, to have grown up in a, in a culture that considers spending a lot of time around the table every day is yeah. as important. And, and I'm able to, to share that with other people and I see where they're coming from. And so it's kind of brought home to me in a very real way um, that almost in a way, and it's kind of, kind of this is maybe by analogy, but almost in a way it's prophetic. 
mm-hmm. you know, that, that uh, I, I stand for something that, that's important because if you look around in our culture, there's not a whole lot of people who are standing up for this. I mean, you've, mm-hmm. got, you've got Isabel with the family foodie and Sunday supper. You, you've got Father Leo with Grace Before Meals. Um, but there's, you can count all of us on maybe one hand that I know of that are Catholic that are really trying to, in the, in the general public, really trying to, to hit home this message, you know? Absolutely. Um, so I think in that respect, it's just made me more sensitive to where people are. Mm-hmm. And it's maybe given me a a um, a love, and even a sense of mission as as far as uh, trying to to spread the good news of the gospel first of all. But how we can actually bring that into our families through the food that we eat around the table, the food that we share around the table with our our families and our loved ones. Sure, and I have to add, you sound very Ignatian, which is what um, our mission is. We're you know founded by Saint Ignatius, but just in the sense of meeting people where where they are. Um, is so important, not forcing them on anything, but just seeing where they're at and kind of inviting them to share in your mission. That's neat. Here's a way you can be creative on a daily basis. Well, how else in your life can you actually create new things every day? And you have to eat. This Mm -hmm. is the thing we all agree on. If you're going to eat three times a day to the day that you die, why not be good at it? Again, I want to thank Rosemary for uh, for talking with me about food and faith. It was a fantastic conversation. I enjoyed it tremendously. And uh, as I mentioned earlier in the show, I split this up uh, between the, the conversation, the interview with Rosemary between two different uh, parts of episode 180. So this is going to be the end of episode one, or the part one of episode 180, and then I'm going to pick up right where we left off in the second half of the episode, which will be a separate file. I'm trying to keep this short and sweet for you. It'd be easy to download, easy to listen to, in little bite-sized chunks. So in the meantime, what I do want to say is I want to remind you that here at the Catholic Foodie, I want to uh, have a conversation with you. I want to know what's going on in your part of the world. I want to know what's going on in your kitchens. If you have any questions, if you uh, have maybe a a question about a cooking technique or or maybe a recipe, something along those lines, please do let me know. I would love to to help you with those questions and and try to answer them. What you can do is give me a call at 985-635-4974, 985-635-4974. Give me a call. Leave me a message. Because that voice message, I can actually run that, play that on the show. We can hear your voice asking your question, and then I can attempt in my uh, best way, I guess, uh, to to answer that question. How about that? I think that sounds like fun. 985-635-4974. I'd love to hear from you. And until next time, bon appetit.